0: Satan goes and and he smacks it down that you really don't feel anything. So the pastor, So what happens? He's looking to find a place to bury his wife. So he goes into into the area of Chevron. He meets with the owner of the Maris and the owner of the Maris Hamachpelah says to him, "It's very interesting." He addresses him and he says, "Nosi Elokim ata besochena," which literally means that you are a prince of God amongst men. That's how he addresses Avraham Avinu. And the Chavitz Chaim says on this, how important it is that we have to always remember that when we walk around, the non-Jews understand, not all the non-Jews, but they understand a person like Avraham is a holy man. And when somebody sees somebody who's a holy man, They respect that person in a totally different light. Avram Avinu was going to teach his children, and because of who he was, he was a walking Kiddush Hashem. That's who Avram was. So when the non-Jew sees him, right, he sees it, he knows that this is not your regular run-of-the-mill human being. And the Chavetz Chaim says about this, again, this is very simple, but it's so hard to live by, that you see from here that you got to make a kiddush Hashem. You have to teach your children. you got to live that life of kiddush Hashem. How many people here know people that make a chil sometimes? Anybody? You know what kills me sometimes? When I meet people and they, dafka, don't want to do business with religious Jews. I don't know. Maybe no, nobody here ever had that experience. But I know people that don't want to do business. You know? I know people that won't do business with friends. You know? I know people that won't. I know one person he will give gifts to his family but he will not lend money to his family. So, so if he's a wealthy guy so he'll he'll give if you need money he'll give you $10,000 but he won't lend you $10,000. You know? This has to do with the creation of a khil hashem that sometimes people do, you know? And and it's so such a big deal. Such a big deal not to make a chilul Hashem. That's what this pasuk is telling us. You know the famous story about the um, the uh, the factory. They they put it on in project Inspire this. I, there was a project Inspire, and in one of the things for Tish above. How many people saw that video on Tish above? So there was a Jewish owner of a factory in Boston that made thin. I think it's called Thinsulate. For gloves, you know, when you're going, you know, snow glo- snowing, uh, like skiing, I think it's called Thin like Slice. Right? Whatever like it was. Something. He had the 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 largest factory in America, and it was a week and a half before Christmas, and it burnt down. And he had like a, you could go online, it was, it was this was all over, all over the place. and. Um, the place it burnt, and the, his factory burnt down. There were over a thousand workers. And uh, needless to say, the people were thinking about Christmas and about how they were going to buy gifts. And, you know, they, they were broken because the place burnt down. And he got up and, and it was all over. This was on every TV show. I remember seeing him on, you know, being interviewed by, uh, I don't know if it was Oprah, but of that type. Um, he decided that he he said that he's going to rebuild the place instead of going to China or Nicaragua or wherever, and he's going to pay every worker every week their regular salary. He's not going to stop because it's the season. He said it's the time of the year of, of holidays and season, whatever it might be. It was all over. It, it was such a big of hashem. He ended up going bankrupt, and oh, yeah, he—you yeah, saw, it. He yeah, saw yeah. that one—and and, and I he it was blamed. Tiles or something. Huh? Was it tiles? No, it was, it was gloves. It, it was it was the material for thin slate, thin thin or whatever. You can look it up, maybe find the guy's name. It was in Massachusetts, and uh, it was just a wa- the man was just a, a walking, walking of hashem. Because we don't realize. We don't realize the power that mm-hmm. when people see you. I remember one time, I tell over this story, and it's a ridiculous story, but it's just it, it's true. I, I lost my yarmulke, you know, flew out the window, on Linden Boulevard in Brooklyn. Every time you, you remember this story, right? it blew out. My yarmulke blew out the window. Now my car today, I have the Hashivana logos on it, so it looks like a Jewish car. But in those days, my car had nothing. It had absolutely nothing Jewish, I you know, identifiably Jewish, no Hebrew, no I love Chevron, you know, there was nothing. And I'm driving. I didn't have a second yarmulke, and I remember pulling into a gas station, and the guy in the gas station says, "What can I do for you, Rabbi?" And I'm saying, "How do you know, Rabbi? How do you know I'm Jewish? <laughs> of course I'm Jewish." You go down. I was once in the Spy Museum, you know, down in Washington D.C., and a whole bus of Hasidim came, and they were wearing baseball caps, and pasted behind the, you know, they, like, like nobody knows what they are, really. I don't think you're going to get away with that. It's walking. It's a. It's a matter of being a walking kid of Hashem. Let me read to you. Let me read to you what the Rambam writes about a Kiddush Hashem. Again, this sounds not overly complex. The word Kiddush Hashem, which means to sanctify the name of God, halachically, is usually used in reference to having to give up your life in a situation where somebody says the, the, the famous three cardinal sins, which are. Uh, killing somebody idolatry or sexual uh, incest or adultery, the, the, the sexual immorality prohibitions. So for example, if somebody says to you, "I you know, here's a gun. I want you to shoot him. If you don't shoot him, I will shoot you. So you're not allowed to shoot him unless he is obligated death or whatever. and that's called making a kiddush Hashem. That Barabim. you know. So therefore, if you had a, in in the Holocaust, this happened often. You had a, a, a group of people, and the Nazis said, "We want, you know, I we want ten of you. Otherwise, we're going to kill all 5,000. You're not allowed to give the person up. The, the, you're not allowed to give up ten people. But that's the the typical terminology that's used. The term Kiddush Hashem, and the Rambam has five chapters on different laws about having to. Give up your life, okay? Then, at the end of the fifth chapter, he writes something else. I'll read it to you. It's again. This is what we know we live by, but it's worth. It's just worth hearing the words. He says like this: "Yesh Tovar There are other things, shem chil that represent that they're involved in what we know as a chil Hashem. For who? What what is this? Shayasa adam Adam Gadobatara. It's when you got a big rabbi who Umafursom Um and he's known, like he's like, you know, everybody knows him. He's like a big rabbi, long beard, and he's on the front page of like every uh, religious newsletter or whatever. And he does Devarim Shabrios Maranima acharav Bishvilam. And he's doing things that the people of the society are not, you know, they're not pleased with how he's acting. Even though they're not technically prohibitions, the guy's not doing something. like he's not eating non-kosher, treif. he's not doing anything directly prohibi- prohibited, but people are not, he, this is not the way. He gives examples. Okay, for example, no The guy goes into the store, buys things on credit, and he doesn't pay in a reasonable amount of time. There's a condition, of course, you know, that's assuming he has the cash. I mean, if the guy doesn't have money and he tells the person in the store, listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm short on cash, you know, I'll pay you next week or two weeks, and it's hard for him. So he goes back and he says, I need a little more time. Nobody has a complaint when a person doesn't have the money, right? You don't have the money, you don't have the money. That's not the case. Everybody knows he's got the money. He's driving a brand new BMW. I once had a case. There was a kid whose father decided not to give tuition. Okay, so the principal was like really pretty chilled. He thought, I, I'm going to say with the school and the principal because it was a big schuss. Rabbi Eli Frelich and Ezra Academy. This guy, the kid was in school. Nobody paid to The kid didn't, the family didn't pay tuition. The rabbi was letting it go because he just thought that the guy was doing fine. I mean, he you know, didn't have the money. I was there with my own eyes. The father comes and we had to go and talk to Rabbi Frelich about something. He drives up in a brand new BMW coupe. Okay. You don't know, maybe it's not his, or whatever. He walks in, and they're talking, and Rabbi Frederick says to him, I, I hate to ask you any question, but uh, I haven't really got any tuition. It was already like December time. You know, Do you think maybe you could begin, make some plan? He takes out a wad of hundreds, like a, a big wad of hundreds, and he says, Rabbi, I'm not giving you one penny until the end of the year. That's what he says. So that started getting the ire up, you know what I mean? Started making trouble. So that's what he's saying over here. We're not talking about somebody who's on Tom Shabbos and and the, or the rabbi. Everybody knows he's like he has no money. That that's one thing. We're talking about Vahusha Yeshlo. He's walking around, he's got a big wad, he's very open about it. I got the money. I'm just I don't pay on time. I don't you know, I I need to get that third letter. You know, how is it going business? You have thirty days or ninety days. You, you, People, you don't know people like that. You never had a cousin, a, a person that didn't pay up or didn't. Pay, I mean, no, no, no. Seriously, do you do you hear yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It so that's that's yeah. person number one who's making Chalashem. and Tovim who Ma and the the owners of the stores are asking him, Can you please pay? And he said, I didn't get the bill yet. And again, we're not talking about a person that doesn't have the cash, you know. He's got himself uh, an American Express black. You know, he's he's okay. But he's just not interested. Another example. Or he's like, he he's a big rabbi. He should be holding himself appropriately. And instead, he's the guy who's like, he drinks a little bit, maybe too much. And he's like, he's in schok. He's like just, he's he's lost on the floor. Or he's like, he's just like eating and pigging out he's just pigging out so he's not doing anything which is prohibited but it's not this is not the decorum this is not what you expect of a person oh or now this is the next one which is even worse oh he when he talks to people he's obnoxious you know I've, I've I've had rabbis speak to me obnoxiously just obnoxious and you're saying a regular person wouldn't talk like that, you know? Never, nobody here ever had no no experiences here. All right? Next thing. Now, this is interesting. I went to Israel. I went to some rabbi. I, there was one specific rabbi. He didn't smile. He didn't smile. You see, you go to Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz, biggest makubal in the world, or one of them. The man is smiling. He's jovial. He's actually jovial. It's nothing wrong. One. He's like he's a happy person. He's very clear. And, and this don't smile. Nothing. Ella balketata vakas. He's just guy. He's always angry, strict. That's a problem. Problem. That's a problem. Now, on the other side of it, on the other side, what happens? If you have, let me give you the opposite. The opposite is that he speaks, the person speaks nicely with people, and everybody says about him that we wish our children would grow up like this person. That is what we call a kiddush Hashem. You have to be do the kiddush Hashem. God forbid, not the chil Hashem. There was a guy in the show. About three weeks ago. And that's where I'm going to go next. I want to show, play show and tell today. And there's a guy in the show about three weeks ago. Nobody should ask me who this was. I don't think anybody was here. Maybe you guys were here. But I, I didn't let anybody know what was going on. And I, he, I, I, I didn't like this guy. He was biased a few times. And he only came to drink. Okay. I've had people who just came to eat and or drink, and that doesn't bother me as long as they act respectfully. okay. Somebody who I trust told me that this person was very inappropriate in his relationship with with women, but very, very inappropriate. you know you yeah, know it's always hard to know if there's consent or there's not consent, but the the word on the street was that there was no consent. So the guy doesn't dive in here. He doesn't he's not here like for spiritual purposes. He's here to drink. So Yahya Dina I'm giving you a shit now, okay? Oh, I'm just telling you that you the to Okay. Start to start okay. Okay. Okay, thank you. So so I went over to him nice. I think it was nicely. And I, uh, I said to him that this is a private, it's a private kiddush, which is true. I mean, it's open to the public in a way, but it is a private for the show. And therefore, I don't think that this is, since you're not part of the community, I don't think you should be here. I was a little bit tough about it, but I also didn't want him around because of what I understood as being a potential danger. Okay. So when I walked upstairs, I, he wasn't so happy about the conversation. But when I walked him out, I introduced him to Kenny, who's our you know, who's our security guard. And I told Kenny what I just said to you. I mean, I used a little bit more graphic words, but basically that there was uh, in, in this some mm-hmm. kind of accusation. And he's not part of the community anyway. He's not. I don't mean community. I don't mean Ashkenaz and but I don't mean that. I mean, he's not parashive anyway. So, so if you only come up to drink, you're not here to daven, and there's something going on, it's, I'd rather not. Okay. Kenny understood. So then I, I went over to Kenny. I said to Kenny, but how can I accept those that, so to speak, lush and horror about this guy, right? I mean, how do I know? So I told him a story about the Chavetz Chaim. The story goes that there was a person who was on trial. And he, he, they, his defense attorney brought the Chavitz Chaim as a character witness. So the judge wanted to understand who was this Chavitz Chaim? You know, who is this person? <coughs> he has a beard, but who is he? And I don't know if the judge was Jewish or not, but it sounded like he wasn't. And the defense attorney said to the judge that there was an incident where this rabbi opened his house to visitors who had no place to stay, right, which he did. (coughs) And one of the, you know, the people who were visiting him took his silver kiddush cup and stole it. And as the guy was running from the house, the Chafetz Chaim was running behind him screaming you know he's saying i forgive you i i forgive you so the judge says to the defense attorney do you really believe that story and as i told kenny and and the defense attorney said listen i don't know i don't know if i believe it or not but they're not saying that about you and me <laughs> that, that i know so that you know and that's what i told kenny baruch hashem they're not saying that about me or about you kenny so, so I want to show you what a Kidish Hashem means. There's I don't collect old books. Number one, the old Swarm are very expensive. Number two is I'm not a, I'm a very emotional person for people who know me well, but I'm not a sentimental person. When I'm gone from a city or a place not a city, but let's say when I when I move on, I move on. I'm not a sentimental, so sentimental. But my kids knew that there was a certain thing I wanted. It's not so expensive, but it's, it's hard to find. And to me, it's just unbelievable. I, I first found out about this in this neighborhood. There's a collector of old svarim, his name is Yasi Hach. I don't know if you know him. He has original editions of the first printings of the, of, of the Rambam, where you have literally Crossed out words from the censors. It's worthwhile if you ever want to go with me. He's got amazing stuff from the four, from the fifteenth century. Just amazing stuff. So I saw this by him. So the Chavetz Chaim, as you maybe you know, not only did he write a lot of svarim, but he himself was a book dealer. He would sell the svarim. If you look up, it's crazy. If you look up online. Yisroel Mayor Kagan, right? You will see his obituary. It's in 1938. And it's, I think it was 38 or 32. I think 30, wait, <coughs> that time period. 32, 33, mm-hmm. 33. And it says over there that his, you know, he had a grocery store. But he closed down his grocery store. Because nobody was going to the other grocery stores. You know, you got Wasserman, you got Seasons, and you got the Chavetz Chaim. Where are you going? You know, and he saw that, so he closed it down. That's what he said in the New York Times. So he had a policy that every first edition of, a, of, a, of a, the first printing of a saver, he would not sell it until either he or his son-in-law, Rabbi Zacks would go through each page of the of the book to make sure that there were no pages missing or you know or 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 glued together on the first I don't know if glued together but there was nothing missing for the first editions then he would take his pen or i guess pencil whatever and on the top you'll see on the top left side he would put the words Muga, which means examined. He would would write it himself. That he himself went through every page or his son-in-law to make sure that there was no pages missing. Now, the Chavetz Chaim was once approached by somebody. You know, the questions that people ask at different times are different. This past year I had a question, about uh, the bigger questions. There was a girl who, a Hashivenu girl who, had Siamese twins. I mean she was pregnant with Siamese twins. She wanted to have an abortion, you know. That's like a modern day type of question in the sense of abortion and medical issues of that nature. You know, if you go back in history a little bit and the turn of the 1880s you have the issue of electricity and the 19 the beginning of the 19 like right now you're not going to find Svarim like discussing what is electricity, right? It's not it's not going to be because it's already been defined, we've already dealt with it. You know, you'll find. I remember we reading some tshuvas about nuclear weapons. You know, are you should a country theoretically should a country like Israel have nuclear deterrent or not? You know, whatever. It doesn't mean that the country's going to listen to it. But you could see what's happening in the world by the tshuvas that are going on. So the Chavetz Chaim, a guy came to him, and it was Pesach. Now in Russia. You would be brought into the army for forty years. You guys all know that they had you in the army for forty years. So this guy got out of the army, goes to the Chavetz Chaim, and he asks the Chavetz Chaim if on Pesach do you have two challahs like you have on Shabbos. The Chavetz Chaim was astounded, and he said, "What? Well, you know, like?" Mm-hmm. And he said, do you have Lecha mission? Do you have two chalas? He didn't know because he was in the army for his, for his whole life. He didn't know. And obviously the Chabetz Chaim said, we don't have challah and Bezach. So the Chabetz Chaim wrote a sefer called, uh, it's, it's, it's called Nitcha Yisrael, And uh, it was a handbook for Jewish soldiers so that they would have everything that they needed to know in in the army. They could learn it. Don't ask me how they would know Hebrew, but that's not the point. Maybe the chaplains would learn it with them or something. But that's what this was. So this was written in... A, it was printed in 1892. And it's, it's a Muga. So I keep it in that box. And I just... When I think of a kiddush Hashem, I think of, of a man who wrote the word Muga on every book before he would sell it, otherwise he just wouldn't. And we at least we know that this Sefer was held by the Chabad Slam, you know. So if you want, you could look at it, and then we put it back for show and tell for <laughs> next time. You know. <laughs> My wife looked at me and said, what the hell are you doing, and I said, it's, not, it's a Muga, I gotta show the Muga. Okay, so anybody have any question or we go further? Kiddush Hashem is very big. It's a big deal. We have no idea how many how many mess-ups we do by double parking in the middle of wherever. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> ride a bike every day. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's un- unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know, I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me also. Because it, the world looks at us. We don't know. I was in the Grand Canyon. You know, and in the Grand Canyon. How many people have been in the Grand Canyon? Anybody here? I'm the only one who's been in the Grand Canyon. Uh, what about Rocky Mountain National Park? Anybody been there? That's in Denver, outside of Denver? Yeah. Okay. So Rocky, we'll talk about that one. I was in Rocky Mountain National Park. You park your car and they have these buses that take you to different sections of the Rocky Mountain Park. And then you walk around in that area because they don't want people ruining the environment. I guess that's the reason. I'm on the bus, and all of a sudden, this the guy who the driver, he gets on this on the on the the microphone and he says, "We have a child of Abraham over here," and I'm at that I'm I'm saying we have jihad now, (laughs) you know, and he said then he says and we are really blessed. Because you know privileged and we're gonna ask him to make a prayer for us because We don't realize How the world the yes, there's a lot of anti-semitism But there are many other people that look at Jews in a different light because of good actions that Jewish people have done you know and we have to really we gotta deal with it and 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 recognize our power and potential. That was number one thought that I wanted to give over. Anybody want to say anything about that? Okay, well, anybody want to see the Muga? And Not really. Our buddies in the back row want to see the Muga. Okay. The next, I'll tell you the Shiloh. I'll tell you the Shiloh. And this week's Parsha talks a little bit about the answer, a little bit. And it's very much focused on in Parsha's Vayeshev. But here's the Shiloh. You know, this room doesn't have any. You know how we have upstairs dedications? So on one side, there's a full, you, you have two parts to everything. You know, you always have you always have a, a double-edged sword. On one side, we believe in, in humility, right? And doing things privately and not boasting about what we do, right? We, we know, for example, that when you do a mitzvah and let's say anonymously, you tzedakah anonymously, is in some ways the highest level. Nobody knows, right? The person who's receiving the charity doesn't know And the person, and everybody else doesn't know. So the ego doesn't get in there. While on the other side, you've got, you know, the big buildings with, you know, this is the, you know, the Mr. Joel Cohen building, whatever it might be. So, so what is the appropriate fashion? Is it a good thing to go and have, you know, the toilet paper dispenser to have everybody's name on it you know is that is that you know what i mean is that a good thing or is it better to have for your name not to be any place what is the what is the right thing now we obviously know that there must be some legitimacy to putting your name on 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 charity because it's done all over so like we're a little bit looking at it from a post-facto situation, right? Because we all know that on every Hetzalah van, there's like 50 names, right? We, we understand that. So therefore, it's obvious that that's an acceptable. Where is this coming from? Because we do have this other idea of Matan the of doing things privately. So what is this header? where is this coming from? So, so that's the question, and it's answered, it's touched on a little bit in this week's Parsha. That and that's what causes me to go into this for a few minutes. And then I'm gonna read you the main source and it's from a Rashba on the Parsha by Yeshev. I think it's interesting. And then th- that's what I want to do right now. So from this week's parsha, it's it's from this week's parsha, it's in reference to I'll read it to you. In reference to Rifka, it says in the passage, by he who tear and we're talking about Eliezer, Avraham's servant, went down to get Avraham a wife for his son, right? That's what he, his mission is to get a wife for his son. And he looks around and he sees a woman. And she has her pitcher on her shoulder. Pitcher sitting on the shoulder. Why is it on the shoulder? Why'd she put it on her shoulder? So the Tiferis Onison the says, You know why she put it on her shoulder? Because she wanted everybody to know that I have something that if you need to borrow, I'll, I have something that you could borrow. Like, sometimes people have things, and they don't want anybody to, anybody to use it, so they find ways not to let people see that they have it. And she didn't want that. She wanted everybody to know, I can help you out in, with this. You know? that that was That's so, if you think about it, that's making a statement about the idea of people seeing that you're available, which, to me, triggered off the questions I mean, now I'll read it you to you. You guys saw Okay. Fifth grade. Pre-1A, so listen to So that's that's the question. Did that ever bother anybody when you see people's names all over everything? Not so much. Alright. So at least you'll know this. So what happens? So what happens with Ye, with Yehuda? What happens with Yosef? The brothers decide they're going to kill Yosef. Right? They're going to kill Yosef. Ruben says, Rubin doesn't want the brothers to kill Yosef. So Ruben comes up with an idea. What's his idea? Throw him in a pit. Throw him in a pit. throw him in a pit. Right? His intention was that he's going to go back and take him out of the pit. That's what his idea was. He didn't have the guts. I mean, I don't want to talk bad about Rubin. It, it's it's looked down upon that he didn't just say, stop it, Ray. You know, it's enough. We had a fight. We got a fight with our brother. But there's a limit, you know. There's a limit. Everybody knows that when you're fighting with family, there's usually a line that you don't cross over. Because if you do cross over that line, what happens? So, oh, my gosh. I have a friend who... Uh, Unfortunately went over the line and then he was in jail because she pressed charges and you know Yeah, it's like there's lines. Taking your brother and throwing him into a pit today, you would you know be in a lot of a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble for doing that. So the post success that they, rule, feel they were justified. What? Do they feel they were justified? Yeah. The reason they felt they were justified was they felt that he was a Moser. You're not allowed to go to uh, they felt they felt there are two different ways of looking at the Jewish people at that point were they were they obligated to follow the rules of being Jewish or were they obli- or they were not Jewish at that time so when the brothers were they felt that you, they were allowed to live the life of a non-Jew they were allowed to let's say Eat food that wasn't, you know, shechted properly. They had a machlokas over here, and they felt that he was making trouble. He was going to his father. He says he spoke badly to the father. So they felt that he, you know, they they felt they were. But later on, when they're in Egypt, and they say, "Oh my gosh, look what's happening to us! God is, you know, we were obviously mistaken. We were wrong. They did Shuva, But that's that's the whole story. Is about how. How, how they were wrong and they did shuva but even later on yes sir malchus which is part of the liturgy of of B'av and of yom kippur is all because of the of, of the of the terrible sin of selling a brother because no matter how you cut it you don't sell a brother no matter what you do you can have the biggest fight with your brother you, you could, you can't sell him. You could put shaving cream all over his head and make him crazy. There's a lot of things you can do to people, but you can't sell them. That's just, that's where we get a little bit too much. like, what do we, what do we sell brothers? Yeah, don't sell brothers. That's why Hebra, not Hebra, Shechem is the hotbed in Jewish history that's the most dangerous place even today in Israel, is the Shechem area, because that's where he was sold. And that area became an area of perennials, of danger for the Jewish people because of the way that the original. So you say, but how does it affect us? I wasn't there. We were there. In some way, we were there. It's uh, you know communal responsibility. So it says over here, I'll just read the pasuk. So here, so the pasuk says, "Vaishma Ruven. Ruven hears, re- listen to this, Ruven hears what's going on. That the brothers mm-hmm. want to kill him, want to kill Yosef. And he saves them. This is what the Pasuk says. and he says, he gets up and he says, we can't, we can't kill somebody. We might have a disagreement, but we don't kill a brother. And the pasuk goes for the next Pasuk says, layam Ruvain. And Ruvain said to the brothers, i Let's not, let's not spill blood. Let's, we'll throw him into, the, you know, into this pit, which, by the way, means you're going to die because the pit had snakes and scorpions. And even if it didn't have snakes and scorpions, it's hot as hell in Israel. You throw somebody into a pit, there's no water. Well, you're not going to live. But at least you're not doing it. Let our hands shouldn't be our hands. Doesn't mean he shouldn't die, but we don't we shouldn't be active in the killing process. Laman, but what was his reasoning? So the post says, Hashem says that his reasoning was Laman hatzil for the purpose of saving Ruven. I mean saving Yosef. Ruven's intention was to save his brother and Lahashivo El Aviv and to bring his brother back to his father. So the Torah is telling us that this person, Ruvain, meant well. And his intention was 100% well. So the, so the Gemara says over here, now, obviously that's what it says. I'm going to read to you what the Rashba says on this. Okay? The Rashba says, If the Torah says nice things about a person, Right? It says positive about what a person is doing. So we too should write down and publicize the good actions that people do. This is the source for being able to write that tonight's Kiddush is being sponsored by whoever. This is the source. If the Torah says that Reuven did this for the purpose of saving his brother, right? That's publicizing a positive action. So we can write down and say that the uh, that the the Shabbaton is being sponsored by the Cohen family. That's the reasoning. Well, Makar, and he says you want to know. The Rashba says you want to know the real source. Goes even further. Not the real source, but listen to this Medrash Rabba and and. In Rus, it says, if Ruvein knew Kosev, I want you to hear these words. These are one of the most beautiful words in, in the Medrash. It says, if <laughs> Ruvein knew, because he didn't know this, if he knew Kosev, that God was going to write down this story, "V'yishma Yishma Ruvein Vayat that, the, that later on in history, everybody's sefer Torah would say those words, that Reuven heard what was going on and he couldn't stomach it and he saved his brother. You know what? If He would have put Reuven, his brother, on his shoulder and he would have paraded him back to his brother. If he would have known how much glory he was going to get throughout history, he wouldn't have just left him in the in the pit, he would and, and going back afterwards to try. He would have put him on his shoulders and saved him right away. Rabbi Levi Omar, listen to these words. Rabbi Levi said, the Sha'avar in the past, meaning prior to the Torah being written, prior to the conclusion of what we call the closing of the canon, the conclusion of the writings of the prophets. In other words, during during that time period, mitzvah, a person did a mitzvah, navi kosva, and the Navi would write it down. So you have, let's say, in the story of Yoshua, uh, a person did something that was good, right? Let's say, uh, let's go to, let's not go to Yeshua, let's go to Shoftim. There was a person called Gidon. Gidon was a pro, was the leader of the Jewish people. He became leader of the Jewish people because he spoke positively about the Jews. There's this whole story in the book of Shoftim about how Gideon, known as Gideon, what he did, how he spoke positively about the Jews, it's written down because what happened would be a person did a tremendous thing and the prophet wrote it down and then it became part of the, prof, of, the of the books of the prophet. That was then. But, but today... When a person does a mitzvah, like all of us here, we're going to end in one minute. All the people who are here, including myself, who are here, 2022 on a cold night, when we could be home doing inappropriate things, we could be doing nothing, or doing bad things easy. It doesn't even cost anything. Right? You don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so, me So, today, who writes it down? Who writes it down. Eliyahu, Eliyahu writes it down. And it's all written and waiting. And therefore, so the Rashba concludes, if a person decides to give something to charity, you can put your name on it because it's a glory to the fact that you've done something good. And the congregation can't say we don't want your name on it. you know. But rather, this is the source that you're allowed to. What I was talking about, turn off the tapes. I don't want the... the, the, I was talking about there was a movie. You guys don't even know about movies. There was a movie called Bananas. Do you guys, anybody know the movie Bananas?